feel like I should just give a benediction after Jonathan's reflection. But we want to look this morning at, um, there's a lot of passages we could go, through, go to when we, when we think about our adoption, we think about this whole topic, we think about even our responsibility to love our neighbor, and we've looked at many different passages on these adoption and foster care Sundays together. And this morning, I want us to think about, more in particular, the Father's love for us, and, and what, that, what that love is, is like, and also how, how we run away from it and how we react to it, and how he pursues us. And so we're going to look at one of the most, I think, famous of Jesus's parables that's found in Luke chapter 15. So it's printed in your bulletin. It's, I believe, behind me on the screen as well. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2, and then skip down uh, to verse 11 through the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, this your brother was dead 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and we pray that your truth would do what it always does, that it would, it would cause us to, to see ourselves in a different light. It would cause us to examine our own hearts, and, and ultimately it would do what it is meant to do, is to drive us to trust, to faith, to rest in your love for us that's expressed through your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus was always um, telling these stories, and he wasn't simply telling stories to be cute. And if you've read the Gospels, you realize that, that Jesus um, was full of parables. And these parables oftentimes are confusing. Um, sometimes they're, they're cutting. And they always are, are serving a purpose. And that purpose is usually to tell us something about ourselves and specifically about the one's who are listening, who are gathered around Jesus at the moment. And the parables in Luke chapter 15, there's a few that come in between this as well, um, are no different than that. And this morning, what I, I simply want us to do is I just want us to look at this parable and I want us to see where we find ourselves in it. Where do we see ourselves in this parable? That's what Jesus, I think, wants us to do, is to go where am I in, in this story? And then I want us to see the Father in this story, who obviously represents our Heavenly Father. And I want us to think about what it looks like to live in light of His love for us. And in order to do that, we'll, just, we'll, we'll look at two things. Let's look at the fact that there's, what we see in this passage is this parable, that there's two ways to be lost um, there's two ways, maybe another way to say it, there's two ways to run away from the Father's love. But there's only one way to come home. There's only one way to come into the feast. So two ways to be lost, one way to come into the feast. What about two ways of being lost? Jesus basically, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but he's using these two sons to represent the two groups that are gathered around him at the beginning of this chapter. And so this is why I read those first couple of verses of this chapter, so you know who he's talking to, who's there. Luke makes the point that the tax collectors and the sinners are gathered around Jesus. They're drawn to Jesus. They're the ones who apparently are closest to Jesus. They're, they're listening, they're watching, they're interacting to Jesus. They're drawn to him, but he also tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes are there too. Maybe kind of along the outer edges, along the outer circle, and they're also watching Jesus and listening to Jesus. And he tells us they're grumbling and they're complaining because Jesus is interacting with these sinners and with these tax collectors, the very ones that they look down upon. Why would Jesus be interacting with them? They're grumbling and complaining because he's paying attention. Jesus is obviously someone special. They don't know exactly how, but he's, he should be paying attention to them. And it doesn't seem like he is. One of the commentators I read said this. He said, the original listeners of this parable were not melted to tears by this story, but rather they were thunderstruck, offended, and infuriated. Jesus' purpose is not simply to warm our hearts, but to shatter all of our categories. Through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone has ever thought about God, sin, and salvation. 
His story reveals the self-destructive, this destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother's moralistic life in the strongest terms. And so the, el- the, el- the younger brother obviously is representing the sinners and, and the tax collectors, and he is rebellious, and he's flagrant in his rebellion, that he's squandered all of his inheritance, he's found himself out among the pigs. These are the guys who are obviously lost, right? In, in this passage, they've been named over and over again in the Gospels, we see them named as sinners, like They are the ones who are true sinners and tax collectors. And tax collectors were seen as as traitors to their own people. So these are the ones, it's obvious, right? It's obvious that they're rebellious. It's obvious that they're sinful. But the elder brother obviously represents the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's obedient. And he's straight-laced. And he's always on top of things, and he's orthodox. He sits up front at the synagogue. The elder brother has always been a good boy. In fact, he says that for many years he has, in his words, slaved for his father. And so the comparison, it seems so obvious in some ways upon first reading, and the people there would have picked up on this. It seems like, well, there's one son who's good, and there's one son that's bad. There's a good one. There's a bad one. There's an obedient one, and there's a disobedient one. And it's funny, as you watch Jesus move through the Gospels, he's he's always got these two groups around him. He's always got these two types of people. And in every instance, it's always the ones who are the sinners and the outcasts and the outsiders who understand and are drawn to what Jesus is saying, so much so, in fact, at one point, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are criticizing him, he says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter into the kingdom of God before you. And the younger brothers are always flocking to Jesus because what they had finally seen in Jesus that the Pharisees And the scribes could not see is that Jesus was offering them good news. He was offering them grace. That they had they they came with nothing and Jesus was giving them everything. But the Pharisees and the scribes were all coming with something and feeling now rejected. Jesus is for those who were poor and wretched and blind and sinful. And so think about, let's think about the younger brother. So I'm asking us to think about where do we fall in this parable. Um, So think about the younger brother for a minute. Because the sin of the younger brother basically says that you are most truthful if you follow your own heart, right? If you're true to yourself. The younger brother is, he is, at the beginning of this parable, he is in the death grip of self-centeredness, that he doesn't believe, obviously, that the father is going to love him, and he can't live up to the standards of his older brother, and so he decides in order to be happy in life, in order to um, have a fulfilling and good life, what I need is to leave. I need to take what is my I need to take what is coming to me from the father and I need to get away from the father. 
And so he goes to the father and he asks for his inheritance. And, and what many have pointed out, when he goes and asks his father for his inheritance before his father is dead, he's saying to his father, you're as good as dead to me. Give me what is coming to me so that I can go and finally live my life in peace and be happy. And so the younger brother, he wanted, he wanted the gifts of the father, but he didn't want the father. He wanted the gifts and the privileges that the father had to offer, but he didn't want to honor the father. And, you know, it's, we're, we're sitting in church, and so we're church people, right? I mean, you've come to church this morning, and so you may go, okay, as I look at this parable, I, I can think of times in my life when maybe I have been like the younger brother. And you may even go, yep, that's who I used to be. I'm not that person anymore. Um, this sort of flagrant rebellion against the father, uh, maybe you see it in bits and pieces in your life, but you're also kind of going, but I'm here, Right? I'm here worshiping the Father this morning. But I want, to, I want us to just think for, for just a minute how this can be a little more subtle than that and how this possibly describes us. It, is it possible that what you want most in this life is all that the Father has to offer, but you don't actually want the Father? Is it, is it possible... You know, that you want, what does the Father have to offer? Well, all things belong to him, right? And so I want what this life has to offer. I want the good things of this life. I want peace and happiness and joy. I want prosperity. But I don't want to honor the one who is the giver of all life and the giver of all things, I only want what he gives. I only want what only he can give, but I don't want him. How do you know that you're a younger brother? You see that in your life, maybe you're always taking and taking and taking from the Father, but you don't want to honor him. You want him to give you the right life, but you don't want to be with him. It's... It's flagrant on one hand that we can go like the younger brother is really rebellious. But if we really take a look at our own hearts, maybe we see there's an aspect of that younger brother that's not just somebody we used to be, that, but can still kind of come to life in our own hearts. Now, what about the elder brother? Because I think the sin of, of this older brother is, is much more subtle. And since it's more subtle, it may be a little bit more nefarious and maybe destructive because what the older brother is doing is he's using his obedience in order to get what he wants out of the father but it doesn't seem that he actually wants the father or the father's love either in fact what we find is that at the very end, he's revealed and his heart's revealed and, and that he is downright angry at the father. After all, he has been slaving away his whole life and now he never even got a goat. This younger brother got a fattened calf and a huge party. I didn't even get a goat to celebrate with my friends. The, el the elder brother's lost not because he's unable to repent of his sins, because he's, he's unable to repent of his goodness. He thinks that his obedience makes the father owe him something. He is good at being good, and so he uses his goodness in order to manipulate the father, 
thinking that the father now owes him because of his obedience. He, he hasn't liked his life. It's pretty obvious he hates his life. But he thinks if he sticks to it long enough, it's going to pay off. And maybe one day he will get the life that he wants. And it's kind of ironic to, think, to, to, to say that our goodness can actually keep us away from the Father's love. Our goodness can actually keep us away from God. His, his obedience was not for the Father's glory. It was for his own glory. It was a manipulative obedience and goodness. So how do you know if, you're, if you have an elder brother, older brother mentality? Well, I think, first of all, the older brothers are probably going to deal with a lot of anger in their lives. It's pretty obvious in this passage, the anger comes out when they're not getting what they think they deserve to get. They think that their life maybe is, is always too hard, or maybe they're always getting thrown too many curveballs, and in reality, they're mad at God because deep down they think, God must certainly owe me something more than what I'm actually getting. After all, I've been slaving away. I'm not doing the things that other people have done. I look around and I realize I could have squandered my life too, but I didn't. I was obedient. I was, I was hardworking. I attended church. Why is my life not going the way that I think it should go? I've been working really hard at being good. Why is my life going more smoothly? Secondly, the obedience that is there, it has no joy in it. It's mechanical. Maybe, and, and maybe for some of us, we are, maybe some of us are good at being good, and it's paid off for us, Right? Maybe you were good at being good growing up and everybody congratulated you for being good and you realized, hey, this works. I'll keep being good and I'll keep getting the praise that I want. I'll keep getting, and maybe this will happen the rest of my life. And then you hit a certain age and you realize some kind of tragedy hits or something really devastating happens and you're like, why is this not paying off anymore? Why am I not now getting what I think I deserve based on the ways that I have been obedient? There's no joy in obedience. The elder brother obeys as a tool. It's, it's, a use, it's just useful. But true Christians obey because God is beautiful. They obey because he's merciful. They obey because he has shown them grace. Their obedience is an end in, is, is an end in itself. Its purpose is to glorify God. Maybe a third way we know that we're an elder brother is a, a symptom of an elder brother mentality that we see in this passage is a, is a bitterness and an unconcern for the younger brother types. That they're always, it, it, we, we might, if we, if we struggle with this tendency, we might really struggle with looking down on those who have messed up in ways that we have not messed up. That we kind of think in our minds, well, I can't really like help them because I've got you know plenty on my plate here in order to keep up with, and they kind of mess their own life up, and they need to deal with it on their own. When one is one's good at discipline and obedience, it's easy to look down on those who aren't, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean one is holy. 
It might just mean that one is good at observing outward commands. They have no concern to run to the younger brother and help him because they don't understand grace themselves. You messed your own life up. It's your own fault. And like what we find in Jesus' parables and what we find in the, all of the Bible over and over again is that the Bible doesn't divide the world into the moral and immoral. It doesn't divide the world into the good people and the bad people. It divides us into the humble and the proud. And in order to, in, in order to accept the love of the Father, we all have to be humbled, right? Right? We all have to be brought down to our knees. And the important message that Jesus is bringing is that there is a moral way to live apart from the Father's love and as well as an immoral way. There is a very good-looking, moral, obedient way to really reject the Father's love. But both are running away from God as Savior. The younger brother was running by disobeying all the father said. The elder brother was running away by obeying everything the father said. The younger brother sees rebellion as a means to happiness, while the elder brother sees obedience as a means to happiness. But both are rejecting the father. So what's the one way home? I mean, it's so beautiful in this, in this story that Jesus tells, and I think this is why we're, we're drawn, so many of us are drawn to this parable and why it's one of the most famous parables of Jesus, because in both of these examples of both the younger and the, the older brother, the only way home is that the father must come out and bring them into the feast. The father goes and meets them where they are. Look again, I mean, think again about this, this younger brother. The father sees him while he is still a long way off, while he's preparing his, his groveling speech, right? Father, just make me, make me like one of your servants, just so that I'll have something to eat. But the father rushes out, and when he's a long way off, he has compassion upon him, and he embraces him and kisses him. This is a picture of, of salvation. The Father is embracing and, in, and, and kissing us. He's welcoming us home. The Father embraces him still as a sinner, but one who is broken and humbled and has nowhere else to turn. I thought happiness could be found outside of your kingdom, but as he tastes of and he experiences the love and the forgiveness and the grace of the Father, I doubt he's going to leave again. Don't you love the words here that the Father says immediately, bring out the best robe. And what would the best robe in the house be? It would be the Father's robe. Put my robe on him. He's not a servant. He's my son. And put my ring on his finger and put my sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf because my son has come home. He says his son was dead. As he was running away, he was not truly living, but now in the kingdom of his father, he truly is alive again. He begins to live again. He can now understand that it is only there where there is freedom. I thought freedom was out there, but what I find is the most safe, most freeing place that I can imagine is in the midst of the father's forgiveness and grace and love for me. Friends, if all of your life you've thought that Jesus was for good people, it's not because that came from the Bible. 
It may have come from our culture. It certainly didn't come from the Bible, and it certainly isn't true. And that there, even this morning, there is nothing preventing you from being embraced by the Father other than hanging on to our own goodness or hanging on to our own idea of what the good life looks like without him. And he's beckoning us this morning to come home. And at the end of this passage, he goes to the elder brother too, and he comes out, he leaves the party, and he comes out to the elder brother, and he tells him, all that I have is yours. It's always been yours. It's not, it was never yours as a result of your meticulous, self-centered obedience to me. It has always been yours only by grace. No one can earn the Father's love. It is freely given. The last thing, as we end this morning, there's something that, that is so beautiful and clear about the fact that Jesus is telling this story. Because we call Jesus our elder brother. And I think Jesus is, is saying something about ourselves as he's criticizing the Pharisees and the scribes who were meticulous about the way that they honored God with keeping his law. They were always ones who were meant to go out and to invite in the younger brothers to the feast. They didn't. And here is Jesus who is standing upon the earth, the only one who has ever been truly full of love and obedience. And he's left the comfort of his kingdom and he's gone out to look for those who have run away. And he says later in this gospel that this is the reason that I've come to seek and to save those who were lost. And he has run to the younger brothers. And he said, don't you see the marvelous grace and the feast that is going on in your father's kingdom? You have to come home. Let me bring you there through his love and only through his merits. You and I this morning are adopted into the family of God. That we have entered into it with Jesus. That he has placed his robe of righteousness on our shoulders. That we wear the ring of our father. Jesus is the father's love that is running to greet us and clothe us with his righteousness. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know this, maybe, and yet we don't know it. We've tasted of your love and your grace, but we still often question it. We often want what only you can give, but we don't want to honor you. Father, we're afraid that we're not good, and we think that that is the requirement of your love. Father, help us to see that what we most need is to simply be poor in spirit, to come with, to you with open hands. Thank you that you run to greet us, even at this table this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.